Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we have on the show a TV writer-producer whose credits include The Last Ship, Human Target, and Leverage. His most recent work was on the Vampire Diaries spinoff, Legacies, on The CW, and he was the co-creator of the cult hit series, Jericho. Please enjoy our interview with Josh Scher. Thanks for coming on, Josh. Thanks for having me. Um, first off, we like to get, you know, get to know you a little bit. Um, so I know you're from northern New Jersey. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your, uh, you know, how you decided you wanted to make a career out of in the entertainment industry, and, and how did you prepare for it? So I, uh, growing up, I watched a lot of movies and TV, just like everybody else. Um, and uh, I think my family was trying to steer me towards uh, a career in law. And... Uh, <laughs> But one day my mom told me that um, there were people who actually write uh, the movies and TV shows that I loved so much. And um, I think from that moment on, I kind of knew uh, where I was headed. Uh, I ended up going to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. They have a tremendous film program. Um, and that's something I wanted to get involved in right from the start. And uh, so I majored in film there, know, always knowing that I was headed out here eventually. And um, did well there made you know uh, I started with an internship that sort of grew out of Wesleyan and, and I came out here to really get involved on the film side uh, as a producer um, started as an assistant worked my way up to executive I did that for eight or nine years before I even started writing um, and uh, and that was about it but, but you know in terms of prep it was more about getting involved in the producing side and then finding that you know my passions and, and writing, and, and then I had to figure out how to do that right. uh, for a living. And you had mentioned you went to Wesleyan Film School. Yeah. Is that something that you would recommend? Is that something that has helped you as a writer and producer? And is that something you would recommend for those you know people, young people out there who sure. are you know looking towards the future? It's a great school. Uh, the, the film it's not really a film school. It's a it's a it's a school with a, with a terrific film major, undergrad okay. major, and. Um, it's, it's always been fantastic. It's produced a lot of terrific alumni, um, very successful uh, alumni in both film and TV. And uh, it's a good network because you know, we've always helped each other out. People have helped me out. I've looked to help others out as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a terrific program in, in that you know, I, I still think it rivals that of, of NYU or, or USC or UCLA, even though it's you know, 3,000 miles away from here. There was a, more of a focus on the conceptual than the actual uh, filmmaking in terms of directing or, or shooting back then. I think it's probably a little more even-handed now. Right. But yeah, no, no question. I would absolutely recommend that to, uh, to anybody. Um, now, how has it, other than, you would, again, you had mentioned to me that um, uh, your first job in the industry, you sort of got through... Uh, you know, a referral from you know some uh, professor yeah. in your in your film program. Um, and in other, what other ways d does going to film school? Do you think going to film school helped you in terms of be a better storyteller? Well, well, I mean, just having to watch movies that I might never have come across or not at that stage in my life, um, and and studying them and and learning about them. I mean, there was something that we had to do. Uh, at Wesleyan in the film major where um, you know, the fantastic uh, head of the department, uh, Janine Basinger at the time, uh, she would always uh, put you through the paces and make you and a group of, of two or three other uh, of your classmates teach the course for the day. And it was, you, you know, you'd watch the movie that you studied uh, and that would be two hours of it and then you'd have to get up and give basically an hour presentation on this movie uh, as though you were doing what she does and, and she's a genius and right. absolutely brilliant in terms of both teaching and her understanding uh, of film in general so uh, it was a lot to live up to and uh, it was an incredible experience but you know those are the kind of things that, that would really give you an innate sense of storytelling and you know concept and conceit and, uh, and criticism as well mm -hmm. um, now Something that you had mentioned before we were on air that I found very interesting and refreshing, and it's something that I like to hear because I think I'm in a similar camp, that there are people who are born with a story specifically to tell, and then there are people who, uh, on the other hand, just in, enjoy 
telling stories and are good at telling stories. And there, there's a definite difference um, with you being in the latter camp. Yes. Um, can you maybe a little talk about, or can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, you know, it's not something that I knew about um, when I was growing up, but when I got out here, you, you know, obviously you're out of college, you're exposed to all kinds of different people, and L.A. is, you know, uh, it's incredibly diverse, and you end up making friends with people who just had very different experiences uh, growing up and, and, and different ways of relating to film and, and TV, of course. So uh, I've found that there's so many people out here who really... They have a story to tell, and when they and when they sit down to write, it it pours out of them in a way. And, and this is not something negative about that approach, but that's how they end up knowing what kind of writer they want to be. They want to be. They want to work in this genre. They want to uh, work in this format, even, or they you know because it's what they grew up loving, whether it's you know comic books or something like that. But there's also you know there's writers that that just they have that story that they need uh, to tell, and it's bursting out of them. Then there's writers like myself who just grew up there's certain genres I love they're disparate and I want to tell a story in each and every one of them and it's not going to be the same you know it's, it's not going to have that uh, really the same character voice or it's not going to have the same um, feel when you watch it or experience it or read it or, or what have you um, it's just something that I feel well this is a great story and I am passionate about telling it and I want to tell it um, it doesn't it doesn't always seem to be mine, like it's coming from my insides and needs to be uh, shared by the world. It's just something that I feel like is a great story. Right. Um, just for instance, I have not lived through uh, <laughs> a post-apocalyptic uh, nuclear incident. Right. Um, but uh, that was a story that I felt was, you know, very... Um, appropriate for the time and something that touched a nerve with a lot of different people and uh, the story that you know, my co-creators and I uh, had to tell was was one very much worth telling mm -hmm. um, and I was incredibly passionate about it right um, speaking of Jericho we'll get into uh, good stuff Jericho in, a, in just a bit um, but I think it's important to mention that because I know a lot of writers who don't have that you know a, a dramatic coming of you know, a coming out story mm -hmm. or, you know, big, huge family loss or traumatic incident that that maybe they're, they don't have that story to tell. So I think it's, it's great that, you, mm -hmm. know, you know, talking about um, just telling great stories. It doesn't necessarily need to solely be something personal, mm -hmm. um, but a great story is a great story. I, mean, I, I think, you know, actors will, will tell you the same thing. I mean, they're not always, they don't want to play the same part over and over again, you know, um, I'm, I'm married to an actress, uh, uh, maybe her philosophy has seeped into mine a little bit over <laughs> the years, but the idea is I like to try on different characters and, you know, we all have that tuning, tuning fork in us where we know that there's an emotional connection with a, with a character that you've created or, or a, a, even a character story that you, that you just, you hear and you're like, oh my God, I, I, my heart goes out to that person or I feel that, that story, you know. Today happens to be D-Day, and listening to all these incredible stories on NPR and different podcasts about about D-Day, and you know those stories are just rich in, in character and, and, and history, and they they matter. Um, I love telling stories that matter. Right, right, absolutely. Um, now, talking about process, what's your writing process like? Uh, both in terms of writing your own spec stuff, because writers who aren't on staff are always writing, and then writing on staff, you're always writing. Mm -hmm. So you're always writing, but obviously this, the setting is different, and your schedule, you know, versus your own versus whatever the show is you're working on. Um, so what is your writing process like, both on staff and not on staff, uh, and how do they differ? It's an interesting question. When I figure out what my writing process is, I'll <laughs> let you know. Uh, I find that. Um, I spend a lot of time, at, so, you know, I have young children, put them to bed, spend a little time hanging out with my wife, whether we're watching, you know, watching a TV show or we're just talking or we're with friends, but usually before I go to sleep, I try to figure out what I'm going to do the next day, because if I wake up the next day and I don't know what I'm going to do, the day gets away from you sometimes. Yeah, the day really can get away from yeah. you, um, because there's a lot of websites on <laughs> 
on the internet. There's a lot of a lot of different administrative things that you can do to procrastinate. But but no, I I, I really do like to know which project I'm going to be working on, what my goal is uh, on that. Um, sometimes I, I do wake up in the morning and I ha- and I put together sort of three goals for the day. Sometimes I wake up on a Monday morning and I'll do three goals for the week. I don't always do that, but every time I, I have done that, I feel like I, I get more accomplished. It's just a matter of whether or not I, I think of it um, at the start. Um, but, you know, in terms of writing for myself, I always outline. I spend a lot. I was just having this conversation with a, a writer friend the other day. I, sometimes I yearn to just open up Final Draft and start typing dialogue, but usually it's weeks and months of developing a story idea before I can even get that far. Right. Uh, when you're doing TV, you know, even if you're just writing the pilot uh, on spec, there's weeks of figuring out the world. Where does the show go? What are the arcs of those characters? It's not just where the, you know where they start and. And, and how fun it would be to write this line or write this scene or something like that. The discipline is is knowing when you're ready to open a final draft on that particular project and 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 you know start telescript banging, um, as they say, uh, as somebody says. The uh, when you're working on a staff, it's really a matter of trying to gel with the voice of the showrunners and making their life easier and really reading as much as you can of what you know what they're going for asking them questions if they haven't fully articulated their vision or you know what they're going for in terms of tone um, and then really trying to match it uh, but you know I mean when you're working on a staff a lot of time it, it, you know the, the time in the room working on the board is is golden understanding all the different uh, iterations of a story and how this one is more the show you're working on than that one um, even if you feel like the ones that get left behind the cards that get left behind would make for a great story as well if they're not learning how to discern between what is the show and what is not the show um, is, is something that I think is your responsibility and, and um, and talented writers, you know, and ones who are valuable uh, at the end of the day, do that quickly. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of valuable what you had said about you know, planning your day before the day begins. You plan, like, to plan your day and week in advance. Um, what other tips or, or tricks or tips do you have about avoiding procrastination, which I think is the, the scourge of many a writer? Um, I, th- I think, you know, I, I hope I'm not saying exactly what another writer might say but I, I I think having multiple projects in different phases is important because if there's some days where like I said I, I love to just open up final draft and start writing I it, you know if I don't have a project that I, that's at that stage right. well I'm screwed um, and right now I don't have a project that I, that's at that <laughs> stage so, um, but I uh, you know having something that is uh you know, I'm writing the pitch for some for one thing. Uh, I'm developing a pilot for another thing. Um, I've got uh, um, there's a book series that I'm uh, involved with at this point. Um, that uh, you know, I'm I'm actually just rereading the books before I start writing the pitch and trying to figure out what makes this you know what what what, what attracted me to it in the first place. Uh, and what my through line is for you know for what I want the series to be, uh, you know having something having several things in different stages of development is a is a way to avoid procrastination because not only do you you know finish one thing take the small win and then realize okay I got to dive into this other thing it, there's also you know we wake up in different moods and or we. Uh, read an article that pertains to one project and not another but so now I'm going to dive into that one first thing and you know just sort of having those um, those options right you know one project might never get done but right. three projects gets done you know a lot faster right um, my wife came up with something because she uh, uh, written a couple manuscripts okay um, saying that she likes to end the day um, like in the middle of a scene that she's excited about. Like sure. you can get to a point where you're excited about a scene and you're like not finished with it, but sort of in the middle of it yep. or somewhere in that process or just beginning it, 
then you walk, you, it sort of forces you to jump right in because yes. you're excited again. Yes. As opposed to you just feel like relief, you just finish the day and then, well, where do you pick up tomorrow? It's like right. climbing the, that hill again. I, I, I'm going to flood this, but I feel like that comes from Hemingway. Oh, maybe. Um, where it's, you know, it's, it's really just don't stop writing until, you're, until you know exactly what you're going to write next. Right. Um, you know, finish, you know, stopping at the end of a chapter is is basically admitting <laughs> I, I am never going to pick this up again. <laughs> right. It could be weeks before I write the right. next sentence. Um, but if you, you know, if you, if you, if your convenient stopping point is actually in the middle of a thought, um, uh, certainly not even trying to paraphrase what I learned from, learned about that from, you know, from his words, uh, it's more the sentiment than anything, but that's, yeah, that's the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, now, most writers starting out, they struggle, obviously, for a number of years, uh, and many writers struggle after. Um, but many writers struggle before they break into the industry, um, before they become a quote-unquote real professional writer. Um, at what point did you feel like you finally had made it as a professional screenwriter? I, I struggled before I make, before I quote-unquote made it. I have struggled after I made it. I've been up and down. Um, no, it's just at what I, point I, do you feel like, okay, I'm actually a professional. You know, I'll be honest. The industry being what it is, it's yeah. hard to really. I think I think a select few get to feel the comfort of, you know, I've made it. There's, you know, I'm in the incoming call business, as they would say, in the gotcha. agency side of things. Um, everybody else is, you know, is is not necessarily working paycheck to paycheck, but they're figuring out like, what am I going to do next? Right. You know, if this one doesn't go, what, you know, how am I going to sustain this career? Um, you know, there's so many talented people out here. There's so many great scripts out here. There's so many great concepts. The world is constantly changing and, and uh, having your finger on the pulse, um, you know, uh, the, the, the pulse of a, of, a, of a bucking bronco is a hard thing to accomplish all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of like, feeling comfortable that people you know I started to feel comfortable when when people knew who I was when you know when you have a credit that people can point to and say oh here the co-creator of, of Jericho and I love that show and 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 you know and again because that wasn't the story that like I said coming coming out of here was pouring out of me some people want to say oh you're just a post-apocalyptic adventure thriller writer and um I I don't feel that way about myself. I've certainly written on others and helped develop others and consulted on some and, and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I've done other things too. I mean, Leverage is nowhere near that universe. And that was one of my favorite jobs and, and favorite tones to write in. Um, so I, I feel like in terms of people knowing who you are, you're a known commodity, um, that's a, a certain level of having made it um, but again that, that that just means that you're headed towards your next pocket of feeling like you haven't made anything gotcha um, and you just got to push on through and have the confidence in your own ability and rely on representation that you uh, that you feel comfortable and confident with it's best if they know what kind of writer you want to be and who right. you are rather than just repping you as a, a known entity uh, but yeah, there's, it, it's, it's a, a vague answer to a question that really defies, uh, uh, you know, definitive lines. Right. Um, and, and speaking about that, about constantly having to, even though you've made it, constantly having to make it again and again and again and proving yourself over and over and over, sure. which, you know, most writers except the select few, if your name isn't J.J. Abrams or Shonda Rhimes. Exactly. Um, uh, but many writers struggle with and this may be the cause or the result of that cause, um, they struggle with confidence issues after finishing a script. Like, you think the idea is great, you're having a blast writing it, or maybe even a struggle, but you feel great that it's ended, and then you start thinking about it, and uh, oftentimes the confidence seems to wane when you finish that first draft. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even after multiple drafts. Um, how do you, if you do, feel this, which, again, I think a lot of writers, if not most writers, do at some point, um, but how do you handle those feelings of doubt, you know, when you finished a, a script from the high of, you know, seeing your, you know, breathing life into this great idea sure. that you had, because you wouldn't have written it, you wouldn't have, if you didn't think it was a great idea, mm -hmm. to 
is this the worst thing ever? <laughs> you know, and then get back again. I think it comes from um, having a trusted circle of friends who are uh, fans of the genre that you've just written a script in and uh, getting their opinions first um, before you uh, widen it out or, you know, or, or working with, again, representation and, and, and hearing back from them uh, to see what they think while also going out to your friends and, and, and confidants. Um, you know, it, it, it can be hard. I mean, it, it, there are times where you'll finish a script and you think it's great and you'll get the word back that it's, you know, you just didn't nail this one or, or this one isn't um, isn't as good as your last in the words of, of, of certain friends or producer friends that you, you have. And it's crushing, you know, I mean, it can really, it can really change uh, or affect your confidence level for a long time because you're going to write another script and you're going to feel great about it and oh my god but what if what if what if uh, it's a problem that never really um, goes away I think again it's like you have to know what story you wanted to tell you have to have a good eye to be able to you know step outside of your own own work and, and, and judge it objectively as much as you can but it always comes back to getting getting enough responses from people that you trust to know one way or another whether it's good or could still be better. Right, right. Um, now going back to what we were talking about tips and, and tricks um, in terms of procrastination. Now what about writer's block in terms of your process? Um, most writers will face it at some point. Uh, although I've had a couple of writers tell me it doesn't exist, you're just not trying hard enough. But I, I think most people face challenges, whether it's procrastination and you deem it writer's block or if genuinely your thought processes, they just don't connect. Um, do you ever have writer's block? And if so, how do you, what are some of your ways of breaking out of it? I would say that I'm in the camp that, that doesn't believe in writer's block, or mm -hmm. I should say that I, I didn't believe in writer's block, but I did go through some personal stuff over the years that I've, I've been writing um, in this business that, you know, where you get dealt sort of like a career blow um, and, you know, like one of those times where you thought you'd made it and then, you know, you get uh, sort of beaten back or somebody's trying to push you out, you know, a, a, a door that's not open but slightly ajar and suddenly you find it shut in your face and you, you know, you're, you're looking around being like, what happened? That was probably the moment and it, it was a long moment. It was a moment that stretched over a year or two where I felt for the first time that, oh, maybe writer's block does exist. Um, it was an emotional thing that I was going through, um, not like a diagnosed issue or something like that. It's just when I sat down to write, I didn't feel like what I was writing mattered. I didn't feel like what I was writing um, was you know, lived up to something that I'd written before, or I, maybe I didn't care enough about it to, to really push forward, and suddenly you're just going through the motions. And um, that was the only time in my life, in my career, where I felt something that, you know, could be considered akin to, to writer's block. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely felt it. I mean, I definitely wrestled with, you know, why isn't it there? What, you know, there's no blood going into it. Where, you know, in my, have I run dry or something like that? Right. And I, you know, there was a voice in my head saying, "No, you haven't run dry. You're just, you know, this is this is a, a phase." And uh, certainly pulled myself out of it, and, and eventually, and, and found things that I love to do. But again, writer's block is you're pouring everything you have into one project. You got to have more than one project. You got to have more gotcha. than one passion. You got to have more than one thing to do. And and you know, if you only have one project, then go out and see a movie. Go out and, you know, do anything that can inspire you to come up with a second project so that when you're blocked on one, you're not blocked on the other. And the only way to write yourself out of that is, is to write. How did you get out of your funk slash writer's block? I think it was probably, and I, I couldn't even put a finger on the moment, but it was probably coming up with the next idea that I just loved, mm -hmm. that I just needed to tell. And... You know, sometimes it's, um, I never want to write for what I think the business wants, but sometimes it's looking at the lay of the land and saying, you know, here's something I've never written before. Let me, let, maybe I can come up with some, an idea in that space. And, um, you know, I've done that and, and 
and loved it. Uh, I, I actually, the first time I tried to do that, I came up with a concept that I loved and the way that I ended up, I wanted to write it with one tone and it ended up being so much darker than I was. And that was probably me exercising some demons. Um, and then, you know, I just sort of put that down. It's definitely something I want to rewrite it at, at, at a certain time. But then I, I happened onto another idea. In fact, I think two ideas um, that opened themselves up to me in, in ways that um, I immediately sort of got excited about and felt very passionate about writing them. And, and those are two of the things I'm writing writing now. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. So. Um, where, where do you do most of your writing? Where's your spot? Uh, I mean, I, I drop my daughter off kindergarten and then I, uh, I go find a particular coffee shop that I like. Um, uh, and I'll just, I'll hole up there for about two hours to sort of start the day, give myself a, a bit of a, of a running start. And then really, sometimes I'll go home, sometimes I'll go to the Writers Guild. They have a great members lounge. Uh, I met a lot of great people over the years there. Uh, and it's quiet and they have free Wi-Fi. So it's, uh, you know, it's right near my house. So I'll spend a couple of days writing there each week sometimes. And uh, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not at an office for a show, and I've certainly been on shows where they didn't actually have writer's offices uh, beyond the writer's room. Uh, so the guild came in handy in that way. And yeah, I, like, I do like writing in public though, because I, I feed off a little bit of the energy of right. the space that I'm writing in. Right. Um, do you listen to music when you write? And if so, what's, your, what's on your go-to playlist? Oh, what's on my go-to playlist? Wow. Um, I love uh, movie soundtracks, um, something that evokes a certain feel. Uh, I'm not great with lyrics playing in my ear because I'll either start singing along um, and not particularly absentmindedly. If it was absentmindedly, it would be okay, but I actually like get into it and, and, and start to lose the thread a little bit. Um, so I really stick with, with movie soundtracks of anything that people recommend to me. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to friends. Some rooms that you're in, it becomes an open topic of conversation. And, um, you know, I'll just download. I remember uh, listening, I had like two years where I just listened to Daft Punk from Tron Legacy oh. incessantly. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a, a dark period for me, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, it's incredible. I still love that soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, what's something you know now that you wish you had known when you first started writing? Wow, there might be a long pause before I answer this question. What's <laughs> um, something that I wish I knew now? Look, I mean, like I said, if I, I like to write in different genres. Um, there are so many people in this business. There are so many scripts. There are so many concepts being pitched. And because this business is so very crowded, I feel in some respects like back then you could write on a few shows before you figured out what kind of writer you were. Mm. And people didn't necessarily, they, they, they liked the fact that you'd been hired, they liked the fact that you'd worked and you had experience, sometimes it was on-set experience, sometimes it was, you know, they just liked that you'd, you know, somebody else had given you the nod before and that was great. And now this is a totally different show, but I think you can make the transition. These days, I don't know. I feel like you have to come out and be a full-fledged, you know, genre writer or a full-fledged, uh, you know, sort of genre writer uh, I mean, a, a drama writer mm -hmm. in, in the This Is Us mold or, or something along those lines. And going into those early jobs, it really helps you long term if that's who you are and what you know you want to write. And yes, everyone has stories of changing in midstream and, and catching on again. And that's, that's great. But I, I just feel like it's easier to break in if you know exactly what you are and right. what you want to be. Um, and that's a little bit different uh, from, from when I came in. Um, and again, like if I had stuck toward one, stuck to one thing and not taken a little bit of a left turn to do something like leverage, which I, I again, that's more the writer that I, the kind of tone that I want to do. And it's something that I'm, I'm always trying to um, push myself to write because I love it. Uh, if I had just stuck with genre, if I had just been you know, 
grounded sci-fi guy or something like that, like my initial agent wanted me to wanted me to be, right. you know, maybe I'd be in a different spot. It'd be much easier to sell. People would know me from only one genre and they wouldn't, you know, read different samples in, in different areas and different genres and, and wonder, well, who's the real Josh Share? Did I just speak in a third person? Strike that. <laughs> um, that, that has been something that uh, when I talk to younger writers, I often, I often say, is it's a realization that I feel like I'm just... Uh, coming around to not the you know everybody fights against compartmentalization uh comment but really the know who you are when you start and look for those opportunities and try to work for those shows um maybe a bit of a platitude but that's that's what i got gotcha um now you went to film school or you studied film at yes. wesleyan yes um how did you actually learn the writing process? Is it something you just did on your own? Did you take writing courses? And how many scripts did you write before you had something that was, you know, seen professionally and recognized professionally as whether it's your writing sample that you're, gets you an agent that gets sent out or whether it's something you sold? So two, two separate questions. Sure. Two-part question. I had a very unusual track toward writing mm -hmm. in this business. Uh, like I said, I was... I was on the film side and producing. I started as an assistant. I was promoted pretty quickly. I ended up being, a, I ended up being an executive on the feature side for eight or nine years, and only for the last two years was I writing a little bit on the side. And you know, back then I was reading, you know, stacks and stacks of scripts every week. Uh, if I wasn't at a breakfast, lunch, or drinks, or you know, did that executive lifestyle. I was writing maybe an hour or two a week on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. Um, and to do that, I, I read, you know, Sid Field, I read McKee, I, I read these books. And, you know, I, I think the school that I went through, uh, you know, after Wesleyan, of course, was probably having read something in the neighborhood of 2,000 feature scripts mm -hmm. um, in, you know, in the, the time before I, even before I started trying my hand at it um, and that that's an education in and of itself again sure. you're, you're looking at what sells you're looking at why it sells you're looking at what makes elements of a story in genre X versus genre Y work and what the, the town is saying about it um, it might be a little bit more surface uh, than every than other writers uh, approach might be uh, Especially since I wasn't in it at that point in terms of writing, I was I was still an executive. I was still uh, really just responding uh, mostly to the market and, and, and understanding how I understanding writing through that prism. Uh, and then I started writing. Um, you know, Jericho was an early success in in my professional writing career, and only then did I start thinking about like oh you know I should really have like a like a TV spec sample mm. uh, and I wrote a Grey's Anatomy um, I think it was between the time that Jericho got picked up and uh, for pilot and picked up for series I started writing TV spec pilots um, because that was still a much more popular thing back then uh, got an agent only after the show was on the air um, and I was co-creator of a TV series with a job on, on the staff. Um, that so you didn't get an agent until after? I did not get wow. an agent until after. So it was an unusual story. Um, uh, incredible fortune. Did you have a manager at that time? I'm no, I, I, oh. was, I was wow. virtually unrepped. Uh, we had lawyers, mm -hmm. um, but we were not we were not repped otherwise. That's crazy. And, you know, it was, an, it was a different, different time. And, sure. And, you know, we, we sort of, we were lucky enough to get John, Tur John Turtletaub uh, interested in the project and then attached and so there was a mechanism behind the project but it wasn't our mechanism mm. uh, it wasn't our managers or, or, or agents at the time um, and uh, and then I signed out with somebody thereafter <laughs> so you're not going to hear too many stories like that and and, uh, and you know I mean look I, I certainly I have not regrets but definitely things where I uh, moments that I feel like, well, I, I could have gone this way and instead I went this way. I feel like my eyes were a little too big for my stomach in the representation world. Uh, in the, uh, you know, uh, early, I, I might have done 
better if I started at a more uh, at a smaller agency mm. and work my way up. Or right. Whatever. I hear stories like that all the time. Yeah. Oh. Every writer is. Uh, it's, it's really in every writer's uh, uh, sort of approach to who they are and what they want to be and what their what their own strengths are. You know, right. I came out of a producing background and felt like, well, I know I can write, but I can also work with other writers and if I were at a major agency and sort of allowed uh, to be set loose in their sandbox well I could do great for them and I can do great for myself and uh, that was folly I <laughs> was never really let loose in any kind of sandbox uh, the way I felt like I could have been and uh, uh, that was a frustration mm-hmm. early on um, other than the actual writing part of being a writer what's the most important skill that you found for being successful as a television writer the most the best skill god this is a hard one again you'll be editing this down the most important skill the most important skill yeah other than writing (laughs) I think it's just it's working with other people it's being able to it's being able to raise a a baby with 10 other people and you know you're not going to be able to make every decision yourself and there are times where you'll feel 100% certain that your idea or your decision is the best one and that's not going to be the, the, the one that ends up being accepted and you have to be able to deal with that but that's I mean that's the that's the, the the ones and zeros of it I think it's really just in terms of being personable and 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 having the personality that is able to gel well with others and and you're in the writer's room for long hours you're working on uh, on one episode after another uh, there, there is an ebb and flow, but a lot of times it just doesn't feel like there's any stop to it whatsoever. And you really have to have the personality that 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 can work well in in groups um, with people of all personalities and different kinds. And, you know, just be a team player, and and uh, I think that that's something that has carried me through at a lot of the jobs that I've had. It's, look, we're all writers. We like working in dark rooms, you know, and not talking to anybody for hours on end, and and um, and letting the medium sort of be our, our voice. But you have to be able to interact um, and play well with others, and that's an important part of it. Right, right. Uh, and a, a big distinction between television writing and feature screenwriting. Sure. Um, now, uh, you, create, you co-created the CBS series Jericho, um, which was canceled after two seasons on the air, much to the dismay of your very dedicated fan base. Um, since cancellation, though, there have been multiple campaigns to both save Jericho at the time uh, and bring back Jericho. I've actually today found a website that's still updated, <laughs> you know, to bring back Jericho. And, um, and two seasons of it were, have been, season three and four, have been in comic book form yeah, for IDW. Um, and I heard that there was a season five in the works, but it's on hold. And, you know, there are rumors because they're holding it that it's complete, but they're holding it because CBS wants the, wants the property. It's, I don't know. Um, but with all the series being revived these days, um, like Roseanne and Will and Grace, Full House, I mean, you can, the list goes on and on sure, and on. Sure. Uh, and reboots even, like The Twilight Zone and, and Charm, Dynasty MacGyver, mm-hmm. uh, and shows like 90210 doing both. It's like, hey, let's do both. Let's do a reboot. And then, hey, whatever. Let's make a, go back and, and, and continue it. Right. Um, would you like Jericho to come back as a TV series? And, and if so, where would you like to see it go? That's a very interesting, multifaceted question. I can only say thank you to the fans so much uh, uh, for loving this thing as much as they do and, and being as passionate as they are and, and putting so much into trying to revive it um, for as long as as they have. Um, in terms of it coming back, um, there's always talk about a, a reboot. I've, I've, I've heard rumors over the last few years. Um, and 
and I, you know, I mean, there's not there's not a lot that I have to say. It's not I'm not keeping mum uh, uh, for any kind of um, reason other than I just don't have that much uh, insight about it. Um, but in terms of you know where I see it going, uh, it's it for me. It's I mean, we had a five year plan when we started. Um, a loose five-year plan. We had five years of, of what we thought would be story. Some of that got yanked up uh, into the truncated season two uh, that was produced. Um, and, you know, some of it played out over the, the, the season three and four of the of the show. But I think if they were going to redo it again, they would probably start from scratch mm. um, and just do either a straight reboot or a different story in that world. Um, some of those characters could, you know, could cross over and... and and be involved, but it wouldn't be a continuation of, of the story okay. uh, that we told. And and I'm not saying that I'd be involved. I'm not saying that anybody in the original series would be involved um, on the on the create, creating uh, and writing side or the the acting side. I, I have no idea what plans are in the works for it. Um, but I can say this from a creative standpoint: when we started that show, when we came up with the idea, I think the notion of of a nuclear winter was something that like I said earlier like it touched a nerve uh, it was something that we were worried about you know it was only certain so, a, a small amount of, of, of time removed from from 9/11 we knew that a, another terrorist attack was not imminent per se but being planned without question sure um, and it was very much something that was in the, uh, the, the the public trough, and there was a very uh, I, I hate to use the term nationalistic because it's taken on a different meaning I think. But we had there was a pride to that story. There was uh, a, I I used to talk about it. This isn't necessarily a show about who dropped the bombs. It's a it, it's it's a story about this happened and our flag was still there. And, and that was, again, like, I'm, I'm not, you know, this isn't about God bless America. This is just, that was a story that touched me, and that was a story that I felt like we could create characters and we could tell an incredible story that, um, that sort of revved that engine, and, and I thought we did that. Is, is a small section of our audience still interested in that? Yes. Will it, will it hit on all cylinders the way it did then? I don't know. And 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 that's why if you're talking about doing a Jericho reboot, there would have there might have to be a different approach, a different sort of guiding principle to it. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but people come to me a lot with post-apocalyptic, you know, thriller ideas or apocalyptic thriller ideas, and and I am at least forced to think about, um, you know, how does this hit. The, the 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 public eye and ear and 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 tuning fork um, and is it you know the right story for the time um, or not right so. now um, there's so many series that have come out in the past few years that dealt with the sort of doomsday post-apocalyptic worlds that you guys did way back when um, you know the Walking Dead Revolution Twelve Monkeys Last Man on Earth been a comedy, The Last Ship, which you've worked on. Yep. Um, do you think Jericho was just sort of ahead of its time? I think it was ahead of its time. I mean, I, I, th- I don't, I don't believe that there were any uh, apo- that, that that the apocalyptic genre really existed for decades before Jericho came along. And since then, you know, there was. I feel like there were some some shows that that. Um, tried to to pounce on our audience after we were uh canceled uh too soon and um and then i think there were shows that you know we it wasn't like we paved the way for them but we did create a a a little bit of a paradigm in tv that now you could frame the likes of a walking dead or something like that um and show that there was an audience for it um and that show is just you know taken on I mean, gone to incredibly, <laughs> incredibly new depths and uh, you know of character and and, sure. and, and uh, humanity and or lack thereof and, and and stuff that we weren't ever ever able to do on on a CBS series. But um, but yeah, in terms of 
starting a trend. There's a little bit of that in Jericho. There's a lot of pride in that uh, for me. And, and um, for a little while, it was hard to watch the shows that followed us. But <laughs> right. I, 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 I did watch them, and I do watch them, and I, I love them and for, for, them, for themselves. Now, why do you think there's, today especially, there's such a fascination with end-of-the-world stories? For one thing, I think that TV is not, it doesn't do action that well, but it does suspense very well. Mm. And there's so much suspense in that genre, but there's also incredible stakes, uh, you know, a level of stakes that other uh, other conceits don't, don't offer. And when you're watching TV, you want to feel something and it's going to be within an hour of turning on the show and, and to be able to get to those, you know, those incredible stakesy levels, uh, you need to, you know, you need to, to play in a certain genre. And, you know, the scope of it is something that, you know, the TV can do, not because you can, you know, do like a splash, a splash page from a, from a comic, but, in, you know, in the fact that you can show different, um, arenas over different weeks and and different times. So you can really build the world um, in TV as well as any other medium, um, if not better. And uh, and and end of the world stories really speak to that. Uh, really speak to the world building. When we were doing Jericho, you know, obviously the show was well, the lights went off. I mean, that was sort of part of the conceit and. I used to sort of like saying that we were using a flashlight and the only thing that you could really see was in the fla- in the beam of that flashlight right. and that was really all you knew of the world wherever we, you know, moved that flashlight around. That was the only thing that you learned about that week. Shows since have have gone on to do it different ways. The budgets have increased, <laughs> right. ballooned. Right, right. The, the, the budget on Last Ship versus the budget on, on Jericho was... You know, it was laughably bigger. Um, so you didn't have to do the "we're just shining a flashlight beam" and that's all you'll see. We really, you really could go global. Um, but still, in, in TV, like the fact that you can move around and do you know different stories week to week, show different arenas, um, uh, and hop back and forth between them, and and do real world building. Uh, that's why the end of the world genre, you know, seems to be evergreen at this point. Mm-hmm. What would you do and where would you go if some kind of cataclysmic event were to go down? Because I know you've written for multiple series that deal with that, so you must have thought about it. Well, not only that, but I, I commented on, on Twitter, I don't know, some months ago, uh, that if the co-creator of Jericho and the writer on the shows that I've written on were to be caught with his pants down uh, in a survival situation, that would be what goes on my tombstone um (laughs) so i've taken a lot of precaution in terms of survival and um you know my earthquake kits and Mm -hmm. i have one in my car i've hidden one in my wife's car Uh, you have a go bag uh, yeah yeah i have a go bag at home uh which is more of a more of a hobby than uh than an obsession uh to be clear but uh but it's you know i'm 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 consciously uh constantly aware of of, of, of certain possibilities it, it, it does bleed into um, my approach to the genre you know, I, I'm, I'm working on another post-apocalyptic uh, adventure thriller right now and I, I feel like I mean if you look on these websites and you know they're, they're, oh we, we're giving you all the provisions that you need for a for three days uh, of survival but if you go down to the fine print, it's, it, it, you know, in, in terms of like providing food for yourself and your family, they usually talk about it being closer to 10 or 12 days that you'll have to survive on your own before any kind of help can find you, particularly if you live in a big city. And so, you know, in terms of like, it, this isn't about the government coming after you like, you know, like certain Second Amendment activists feel. This is about the government not coming for you at right. all, a la Hurricane <laughs> Katrina kind of <laughs> exactly, thing. Exactly, exactly. Right. And uh, and that has sort of you know 
obviously it's 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 interesting to imagine, terrifying to imagine, of course, but it works because I write for a living uh, and write in that genre. But I also, you know, in terms of like, what am I going to do with my family? Camping gear, um, you know, I get the I have uh, water straws. Okay. Uh, the water filtration straws, mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah. among many other things. But I also have I also have little kids, so. I have to take into consideration, not that it's important for this particular podcast, but I have to take into consideration that my one-year-old can't drink through a, a straw. Gotcha. So I've got to provide clean water for him because, in a, in a different way because he's one. I doubt that my five-and-a-half-year-old would be able to, to really do it for very long either. Um, so I have to take those precautions as well. Um, but I've, I've read more than I want to. Uh, I know more than I want to on this particular topic. and. Uh, and yeah, but, uh, but you know, apocalypse, come at me. So while the, the likelihood of an apocalypse hitting us in the very near future is probably very small, percentage-wise, hopefully, hopefully. Um, if you were a betting man, which I don't know if you are or not, but if you were a betting man and had to pick the way in which it would strike us, nuclear winter or, <clears throat> or famine, disease, uh, you know, uh, aliens, <laughs> What would you, or an asteroid, what would you say is the most likely? I think we, we, got, into, we got into the weeds on, uh, on last ship with, um, with bioterror. Yeah. And uh, the, the ability uh, to, to create, uh, you know, some kind of, of a virus or a flu that could be devastating in, um, with not a lot of money mm -hmm. and not much manpower um, I feel like we have to, we, our government must be all over that uh, I, I, I'm sure that they are um, but I feel like that's a place where given that you know we're in this sort of uh, ISIS driven lone wolf kind of attack sort of moment um, I feel like the most likely way that we're we're going to uh, meet with some kind of cataclysm or, or apocalyptic scenario, and I'm again hoping it never happens. But right. it's it's got to be in the in the in the viral flu arena. Sure. Um, there's just uh, it's hard to completely oversee that that space. Right. Um, and there's dark corners in the world. Yeah. WGATA packaging and conflict of interest standoff, which is going around. Um, just quickly, what's your take on it, and um, how has it affected you personally? Uh, my take on it is I am a, 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 a true blue supporter of the WGA. Um, I stand with them completely on this. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of the actions that they've taken over the last few weeks and months. I go to the, the mixers, the meetings, I, I do everything I can to be a part of, of this movement um, because I really do believe in it uh, with regard to packaging and with regard to this, the producing entities um, being under the agency umbrellas. Um, but in terms of the way it, it's, it's hit me, you know, I consider myself um, a mid-level writer uh, when it comes to staffing on other people's shows, which is something that I've done and I enjoy doing. And mid-level jobs have dried up in a big way over the last four or five years. Um, like the middle class of America. Just like the middle class of America, right. of course. But, but you know, mid-level writers uh, are really important the writing ecosystem for a lot of reasons and you know showrunners rely on having as many experienced people in a room as they can and when you're having rooms that are you know six and seven people um, or even if you have a room that's you know that's 10 or 12 uh, different slots a lot of times they they don't seem to have the money to hire the mid-level writers that they would really benefit from having mm -hmm. the fact that there's fewer and fewer mid-level writers being uh, uh, um, being hired on staffs um, I feel like is a direct uh, result of, of the packaging money that comes out of a show's budget gotcha. 
um, I could see you were wondering where I was going with that long-winded answer. You came but like, right back around. But that's that's in, in, that's one way, and it's the way that's impacted my career the most, um, because that three percent of the budget that comes out uh, uh, off off the top for for the agencies. I'm not naive enough to think that all of that money would go right into the, the writer's budget, but you only need a fraction of it to go into the writer's budget to pay for two of me. Right. Um, and so that- and that's on every show. And that's on every right. show, and we're at peak TV. So there'd be a, a lot more jobs. Uh, I think showrunners would benefit from it because they'd spend less time rewriting or they'd be able to delegate to experienced uh, uh, TV writers with you know more responsibility, I also think that younger writers, you know, emerging writers and 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 first and second time staff writers would benefit from it because they'd have more people to learn from. They'd have more, they they'd have less expectation on them immediately right out of the gate, and they'd have more time to learn uh, the trade um, and learn the the you know the ups and downs of of TV writing life. Um, and I I just think that a little bit of extra money in that writer budget would go a very long way um, and that's not just a personal appeal uh, but it, it is something that I found has has really impacted uh, me and, and I'm, I, I feel like I'm making a somewhat legitimate connection to the, the, the struggles that we're having right now with the you know with this conflict right um, did you know there's another Josh share out there who created the Canadian-based fast casual restaurant Freshie? Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah. Same spelling? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should go eat there the next time I'm you should. in Canada and hungry. Well, no, it's, there's a bunch in Los Angeles. Oh, really? It's a chain. It's like six or seven hundred of them around the world. Yeah. Make, make sure I have his information. Yeah. I'd love to uh, <laughs> look him up. Yeah. Um, um, I guess, and lastly, uh, do you have any advice for uh, these emerging writers out there, or is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I talked about it earlier. You know, make sure that as 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 clearly as you can um, understand what kind of writer you want to be, and and try like hell to to start in, you know, as close uh, uh, to that as possible in terms of what show you're working on or, or what movie that you're working on or, or, you know, be as close to the genre that you write as you can be. It, it's, it's just the easiest way to brand yourself and identify yourself for future employers and the quickest way to, um, to make great contacts in that world rather than having to you know, spend three or four years working in one area and then try to break into another. Um, because we're all, you know, a showrunner only has so much time to read um, and, you know, they need to know that you're their guy as, as quickly as possible. Uh, and then, of course, there's just, you know, every contact that you make can work their way, way up to the next level and ultimately hire you. It's just, it, 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 it's beneficial uh, for you in so many ways if you figure out exactly who you want to be when you start and, and, and go after that guns blazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, there's something that's going on right now with, with the ATA uh, situation that has been incredible and that's the writer mixers and, and mm. um, writers helping other writers on Twitter uh, I've been the beneficiary of some of that I've tried to help out where I could as well um, I'm, I go to a lot of the mixers I, I'm, I try to be as social as I can be in those scenarios um, it's something I really wish that we were doing as a guild years ago right. uh, I wish that it had started a long time ago um, because we'd all be better off if it did um, and I think that any young writer would, would benefit from, you know, from, from getting in uh, on the ground floor of all that now and just, and just being a part of it. And long after this ATA situation uh, goes away, they should continue it um, because it will only help uh, them and then they can help others. And, and you know, our, our lives will be a little bit different. 
because of it and maybe we'll have to take an hour or two away from writing each week that we wouldn't have ordinarily done but that might be good for us as well right um, but it's it's definitely going to help writer solidarity and uh, you know and the lives of, of, of writers for a long time to come um, well that's it thanks for coming on the show Josh I really appreciate your time thank you very much for having me this was a pleasure and um yeah. Be sure to follow Josh Share on Twitter. It's at Bring Back Jericho. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's uh, Josh Share One. That's S C oh, Joshua Share. Excuse me. At Joshua Share One. That's Joshua, like it sounds. S C H A E R. The numeral one. Uh, so check him out on Twitter. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. And thank you all for listening.